This is Understanding Micah, which is part of our Understanding the Old Testament series, where we're trying to make the Old Testament a little more accessible to you. The Old Testament can be a little intimidating. It's got all these weird laws, these crazy symbolic images and strange uh, occurrences and some of the narratives. And it can be a little hard to get our minds around it. But it's important to understand the Old Testament because it's the foundation of the New Testament. It was Jesus's Bible. It was what he drew upon when in his preaching ministry, when he's pointing to all of these Old Testament prophecies and events that foreshadow and point toward himself and the work that he is going to do. So it's really important that we get a grasp of the Old Testament. But sometimes we just need a little help, and hopefully this can be a way to help you uh, enjoy the Old Testament and to really enjoy the blessing of, of reading God's Word in a full way as you can access a large chunk of what He has given to us. So I want to start with an introduction to the book of Micah. So Micah is a prophet, and within the biblical canon, he's considered a minor prophet, which kind of sounds like a demotion, but really it's just saying that he's one of the shorter length prophets there. But just because he's not a major prophet, he's still really important, and we don't want to overlook him. Now, a prophet has a very specific job. If you think about in Israel, there are really three key offices. There's the king, there's the priest, and then there's the prophet. So the king is charged with governing uh, Israel according to God's word. And the priest is charged with performing the religious ceremonies, the sacrifices, the cleansing rituals, and all those things, as well as teaching the law to the people. But the prophet is unique because the prophet is appointed by God himself to be his mouthpiece, to speak the very words of God. So in some respect, he's the outsider. He's the guy that goes outside of the system and speaks to it and reminds them of their covenant obligations. A covenant is the legal bond between God and Israel. So they make vows to each other. It's, it's, you can think of it like a marriage between God and Israel. In fact, the prophets often characterize God's covenant with Israel as a marriage. God is the faithful husband, and Israel is the whoring bride, the unfaithful wife. And all of this is covenantal language. So the prophets, they come in and they remind God's people of their commitments to God according to his word. And they speak on behalf of God in both blessing and judgment. Now, because Micah is a prophet and he speaks God's words, and his words carry the authority of God. That's what comes with being a prophet. Now, Micah is a prophet from the town of Moresheth, which is outside of Jerusalem. So again, he's an outsider. He's not just an outsider to prophets and priests, but really to the whole city of Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah. And he's ministering under the reign of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah is the key king to keep in mind here. Uh, he reigns in the southern kingdom of Judah, and you can see a lot of his reign toward the latter portion of 2 Kings. Now, why are the three kings that Micah refers to, that he reigned under, kings of Judah rather than Israel? Well, we have to remember our history a little bit. So, King David ruled over a massive kingdom in Israel. Solomon, his son, took over. But after Solomon, 
There was a civil war. There was a split in Israel. And the nation was divided into the northern kingdom, referred to as Israel, with its capital Samaria, and a southern kingdom referred to as Judah. And Judah's capital is Jerusalem. So Micah's prophecy is primarily towards Jerusalem and Judah in the south. Now, in 722 BC, that's a few decades before Micah's prophecies, northern Israel and its capital Samaria were invaded and taken over by the nation Assyria under King Sargon. And this was a result of God's divine justice for Israel's sins. If you go back to Deuteronomy, God basically tells Israel, look, if you guys keep sinning, keep uh, being lawless, keep, uh, you know, breaking uh, the commandments that I've given you, going after false gods, you keep doing that, I'm going to kick you out of the land. And I'm going to send foreign nations to occupy you and then bring you out. So this is all that, this is nothing new. This is not, not, it shouldn't be a surprise to Israel that this is happening to them. So that's what's happening in northern Israel, taken over by Assyria. Now Micah turns toward Jerusalem and says, what God did to Samaria for their sins he will do to Jerusalem for your sins. In other words, look what happened to them. See what God did when they refused to repent? Well, that's going to happen to you, but you have a chance to learn from their mistakes. So as I read Micah 1, I want you to take note of how Micah describes the judgment of God. This is Micah chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters pour down a steep place. And all this is for the transgression of Jacob, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return." For this I will lament and wail, I will go stripped and naked, I will make lamentation like the jackals, and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah, it has reached the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all in Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust, pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame, the inhabitants of Zanan, and do not come out. The lamentation of Bethazel shall take away from you its standing place, for the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Exeb shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will bring again a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Merishah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. 
Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair. For the children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as the eagle. For they shall go from you into exile. I really hope my Hebrew professor is not listening to this podcast because I probably butchered a lot of those uh, Jewish cities that uh, were listed at the end of Micah. But you know what? You guys don't know that, hopefully, so it sounds like I was correct the whole time. Let's get to Micah. So Micah, again, is bringing a prophecy of judgment, and he has no pleasure in doing this. He actually says that he's lamenting, he's wailing, he wants to strip naked and make lamentation like the jackals and mourn like the ostriches. So this is not a fun day for him, and he doesn't take joy in calling Jerusalem out for her sin. And he laments because he realizes that this disease of sin, this infection, has has made Judah's wound incurable. If you think about wounds, they need to be cleansed and treated immediately or else the infection can spread. But if a wound becomes incurable, then death becomes inevitable. And Judah's corruption has reached such heights that God's judgment is inevitable. They have broken the covenant, that's the legal marriage-like bond between God and Israel, by worshiping idols, by prostituting their daughters, and using money from that prostitution to offer it to God, and by transforming God's holy city of Jerusalem into a high place. And Micah, using that word high place, it's a very pointed phrase. It refers to pagan worship centers. Jerusalem, which was supposed to be the city that God dwelt in, has now become a spiritual adulterer. And because of this, Micah paints a picture. And he says, God is emerging from his palace, which is another reference to the temple, his throne room. And he's emerging like a scorned husband, and he's treading the high places. It's almost like all the mountains and the valleys and everything is just making way because God is rising up with his indignation against Israel's unfaithfulness. And you can kind of sense the, the feeling of suspense because you're like, okay, is God getting up? Who's he going to judge? And shockingly, the people he's going to judge are his own people. And Micah uses wordplay when he lists out all the cities that God is going to judge. So Beth the Afra refers to dust, right? So those who the city of dust will be dusted. Or Shafir refers to being pleasing or beautiful. Well, they will be naked and ashamed. And then finally, Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is the city of peace. You can hear Shalom in that, Jerusalem. They will now be a city of destruction and distress. And you often see that in the Old Testament literature. When God reverses his blessings, right? You were once my holy city. You were once my uh, place of peace. Now you will be a place of war and destruction. And God's instrument of judgment for Jerusalem's sins will be, guess who? Assyria. He talks about raising a conqueror against them that will draw them out of their land. And this is a historical referent because in 701 BC, King Sennacherib, uh, the king of Assyria at the time, is going to siege Jerusalem And he is the conqueror in verse 15. And he's going to force King Hezekiah to defend the city. Now, this is actually in the biblical narrative. If you look at 2 Kings uh, 19 to 20, you can see how that shakes out. And we'll talk about that as Micah goes on. 
But Micah 1 ends with this gloomy description of mourning. Uh, Men and women shave their heads in despair as their nation is taken into exile. And what Micah is doing here is he's actually foreshadowing the far future. Because Jerusalem is actually not taken into exile by Assyria. That's not how the story ends. Spoiler alert. But they will be taken into exile later on into Babylon. So Micah is giving a foretaste, a hint, saying this is going to happen. And it raises the question, is there any hope for God's people? Or maybe to phrase it another way, will Judah's sin have the last word? Will God's people's rebellion have the last word? Or will the faithful promises of God have the last word? Will the grace and mercy of God have the last word? Is there hope through the darkness? Hope for a new day, a day of restoration, forgiveness, and redemption. Maybe even a day where Israel itself will be resurrected. And the answer is yes. In the next episode, we're going to look at Micah chapter 2, where he gets specific about the exact kinds of sins that God is angry at Israel for committing. But he's also going to give a hint of hope, a little germ, a little seed of hope beyond judgment. Judgment.